let's just start in a note of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just take this time just to settle ourselves, Father, just to put our hearts on you this morning, Lord, our eyes on you this morning, whatever we face this week, whatever's been in our way, even this morning trying to get to church. We just lay that aside right now, Father, and we just place our eyes on you. We align just our minds with the w- your word that's going to come forth this morning, and we open our hearts to receive it, and we open our ears to hear your voice as well this morning, Lord. And I just pray your will be done through this message this morning, Father, that Holy Spirit, you would do the work in the people that you love so much that only you can do, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so as I'm walking around the shops the other day, I begin to notice that all the Christmas stuff is already out. (laughs) Can you believe it? I'm just like, whoa, the Christmas stuff's already out on the shelves. And I guess for those of us that like to have Karen, our decorations up in October, that's a good thing, right? But for me, who's like last minute decorations preparation woman, it kind of brings on this anxiety. (laughs) I got Christmas decks out already. Um... But it got me wondering, it did get me wondering um, out on that shopping trip, how relevant is Jesus in our lives right now and at the world at large? Is Jesus just someone we, we kind of pull out when the season calls for it? Is Jesus just someone we give attention to and focus on at certain points in our lives, certain seasons in our lives, and then for the rest, we just kind of tuck him away? How relevant is Jesus in our 21st century existence, in our technologically advanced existence, in our scientifically advanced existence, with our iPads and our iPhones and our iWhatever and our fast cars and our fancy clothes? Can a first century Jewish carpenter's life, a man from Nazareth, miles and miles and miles away, (laughs) who ate figs and wore sandals and robes and walked dusty streets, first century Jewish carpenter's life and teachings still have as much relevance in our advanced world today. Enough to not only give attention to him when the season seems appropriate, but enough to build our whole lives upon and enough to be willing to die for it like the first century followers were. Another question I pondered walking around the shops It was a very thought-provoking trip. (laughs) Don't come shopping with me. We get deep. (laughs) Another um, question I pondered around the shops is beyond all all the symbols that we see at Christmas time, you know, the baby in the manger and the wise men and the stars, and beyond all the symbols that we see on the shelves, does the world really understand what happened the night Jesus was born? Because I think before we can answer the question, of Jesus' relevancy, I think we need to we need to look at well, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? And the significance of his birth. The title of my message this morning is Down to Earth. Down to Earth. Now, other than the birth narratives that we find in the Bible, that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell us all about the birth of the baby in a manger, where can we go in the Bible? 
to try and understand what actually happened that night. What happened the night Jesus came down to earth? And the book of John is an excellent place to go to. You see, John doesn't write his, his um, gospel, his account of Jesus' life. He doesn't start it with a birth narrative. Because unlike the other authors, John wasn't so interested in documenting historical events and facts. John had a name in his writing. And that writing was to prove something. And he explains it himself in chapter 20. He says, but these um, are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So the whole aim of John's writing his gospel was to get you to see who Jesus really was. And in seeing who Jesus really was, in believing, believing. So he gets straight to the point in the first few verses. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And he jumps down, and I want to jump down to verse 14, and he says, So the word became human. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only son. You see, yeah, a baby was born in Bethlehem that night. But there was a magnificent supernatural reality going on um, here that, that John just cut straight to. God came down to earth. God came down to earth and embodied the person of Jesus Christ. God, who existed in the beginning, that's a a reference to the timeless eternity of Genesis. He existed in the beginning. God, who created everything, without whom nothing was created. God came down to his creation and to his created, me and you. And he came in our very same likeness, our very same nature as human flesh and blood. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully human. Both identities existing together in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the word made flesh. Now, we can ask ourselves, well, why didn't John just say Jesus is God? Why did he use this term, the word? Well, word in Greek translates to logos. And when we think about who John was writing to, he was trying to recapture the attention of both, of both Greek and Jewish audiences. And these two um, people groups would be very, very familiar with this term, the Logos. Before we had John's Gospel in print, they, they, they would be very, very familiar with that term, the Logos. You see, Greek philosophers of the time, they loved logic and reason and trying to figure out, well, what is the meaning of life? 
what is, um, you know, what is this? What are we here for? What is the purpose of life? And, and the two main camps that they fell into was the Stoics and the Epicureans. And the Stoics, it was all, all about um, morality and having perfect morality and just keep going and keep going and, and be strong and keep going. But the Epicureans, it was all about, well, let's just have as much fun as we can because we're going to die one day anyway. So let's just get as much as we can out of life um, and then we'll just die. But both of these camps did recognize that, that, that behind the universe, there was a force. There was a force. There had to be some sort of intelligent force creating all this and directing it and, and telling us in its own way what is good and what is bad. But this force, it's impersonal. We can't know it. We can never see it. We can never know it. And they termed this force the Logos. That is what they called this force, the Logos. Now, for the Jewish minds, of course, the Jewish people will be familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. You know, the book of Moses. So they will be, f be familiar with this term, the word of God. Because the word of God would come down on somebody in a certain, um, certain time or for a certain place, um, a certain situation. The, wo the word of God would come to a prophet. Or the word of God would come to someone. And they understood the word of God then to be God revealing his character and his wisdom in, in within his covenanted people of Israel for a certain time and for a certain place. But what John is saying here to all of his audiences, he's saying, no, the force that created everything in this world, that gave life to everything, that continues to sustain it and give direction to, um, that force is not impersonal. That's not an impersonal force. That force is a person and he came to us in a man and we can see him and we can know him. He came as Jesus Christ. For the Jewish listeners then, what John was saying to them is God isn't just revealed to the covenant people of Israel anymore for one place, one time. God has been revealed for everyone, everywhere, for all time in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the wisdom, the character, and the love of God for the world, for all times. That's why it says in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the power of his command. God came down to earth. Fully divine. Why? To enact salvation for you and me. To save humanity from their bondage to sin and death by being the replacement, atoning sacrifice. To do for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And he also came fully human. His godness did not cancel out his humanness. And that's really important for us to stand. He was fully human, just like you and me, because if he wasn't fully human, he couldn't have rightfully have died in our place. If he wasn't fully human, he couldn't rightfully be our merciful and faithful high priest at the right hand of the Father. If he wasn't fully human, he could never really know our weaknesses and our limitations and our pain and our suffering. And if he wasn't fully human, he wouldn't be able to help us in that time, would he? He wouldn't be able to strengthen us and help us to carry on. But he was, and he can. 
And Hebrews again tells us, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus came down to earth for us. For us. I don't know if any of you remember that song and the lyric says, what if God um, was one of us, another stranger on the bus, trying to find his way home. You remember that, Paula? (laughs) Well, God was truly one of us. God was truly one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. But he wasn't trying to find his way home. He was showing us the way home. Amen? He was showing us the way home. He came to free us from our bondage, to offer us life for death and light for darkness, to restore us back to the personal logos of life, to God, fully divine to enact our salvation, and fully human to bear the weight of our humanity. Is Jesus Christ still just as relevant in our advanced 21st century existence? Do we still need the teachings from the first century Jewish carpenters? Yes, our word, the word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You see, as far as I can tell, people are still stumbling around in the darkness trying to find the light. As far as I can tell, people are still lost trying to find the way home. As far as I can tell, people are still trying to desperately grab onto anything that will and satisfy their hearts that are hungry for love and joy and peace and they'll destroy themselves in the process of trying to get it. As far as I can tell, we need Jesus more than ever. We need Jesus more than ever. Because, yeah, we might have technological advances, we might have scientific advances, but in the quest to find our own um, truth, and have our own control and self-determination in the quest for these things. Research has shown that we're lonelier than ever. We're lonelier than ever. We're more disconnected than ever. Truly, like we might have the connections on social media, but true connection. We don't have that. We're disconnected, not as much. We have more mental health issues than ever. Suicide rates are on the rise. Addiction um, rates are on the rise. As far as I can see, humanity is in just as much in need of a savior as we have ever been. You see, the context and the times of our lives may have changed, but our inner nature has not. Our inner broken sinfulness nature has not. Yes, the context and the times of our lives may have changed, but we still need the merciful gift of forgiveness and eternal life that is offered to us from Jesus Christ, our Savior. Is Jesus still relevant? C.S. Lewis once said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. 
we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. God came down to earth. He came from that world. He came that we could be connected to that world, that we could be connected to him. He came so that we could see parts of that world. Okay, we might see it in part now, but he came so we could see it. He came so we could see him and know him and experience him and interact with him. He lived with us. He loved us. He suffered with us. He suffered for us. And he rose again for us to show us that he is truly the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He holds, he holds all of our life together. Just like he holds all of creation together. He holds our whole life together. Jesus Christ is that relevant. And, you know, it can be so easy um, sometimes for us to compartmentalize Jesus, can't it? You know, we, we can just assign him to, to one area of our life. Maybe it's Sunday morning in church. Maybe it's at, it's at our Bible studies. Maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it is Easter. Just that one area, we assign him to that. And we can, you know, even not really knowing, shut him out the rest of our lives. But I would suggest to you that any area of our lives we are not allowing the light and the life of Jesus Christ into, then that area is dying. And that might be a bit strong, but if he is the light and he is the life and we're shutting him out of a certain area in our life, then that area is only human struggle and will and determination and grit. We need the light and the life of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. Will we really see him? Will we really believe in who he was? Enough to build our whole lives upon and be willing to die for him, just like his first century Jewish followers. John says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Other translations might say he was full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know, I think to, um, to really let Jesus recapture our lives, every area of our lives, it's important to, to think about how we see Jesus. It's really important to ask ourselves, how do I see Jesus? What is Jesus to me? John says, we have seen him for ourselves. I have seen him for myself. So now I know and I believe. Have we seen Jesus for ourselves? Or have we seen what other people have told us about Jesus? Have we seen him for ourselves? Or have we seen what other people have told us, have told us about Jesus? Because there's a lot of opinions out there about Jesus, isn't there? There's a lot of opinions there's a lot of true um, teachings out there about Jesus. You know, we can be in church and, and with church folk, but still not really see Jesus clearly. Still have a misunderstanding about Jesus. You know, there are some that say, well, so once you come to Jesus, well, your life's going to be perfect. He's just going to make your life perfect. He's going to take all the pain away, everything you want, you're going to get. It's just going to be perfect. 
thank you, Jesus. I'm a big sugar daddy in the sky. Just come, you've heard it, right? Just come and get what you want. But you see, the problem is when our life isn't perfect and we still experience suffering and our loved one still dies and we still don't get the things that we want, we wonder, well, where is Jesus? Does Jesus not love me? Is Jesus still here? Is he even really real at all? Where is Jesus? And it could even be enough to make us turn away, couldn't it? Turn away from him. But misunderstandings happened in Jesus' day as well. So it's okay. Don't feel bad. (laughs) Misunderstandings happened in Jesus' day as well. In John 6, when Jesus, um, the story, it tells us Jesus fed the 5,000. We know the story. He fed the 5,000. And he did some really cool miracles um, in front of this big crowd. And it was great. And everyone's like, whoa, yeah, Jesus. Miracles and and food. And they followed him. (laughs) This Jesus is great. I'm going to follow him over to Capernaum. Jesus, what can you give me? Jesus. So then Jesus begins to then teach them, um, you know, something. He begins to teach them about his body. Uh, um, his body is the bread and, and the communion. And, and it's a bit hard for them. It's, it's kind of, it's, kind of <laughs> it's changed the theme. We were doing miracles and cool stuff over here. It was really relevant then. It was great. But ooh, now I'm here and that's a bit difficult. And I'm not sure if I like that. And they began to turn away from him. They began to walk away from him. And Jesus said, you were only following me because I fed you. You were only following me because of what I could give you. You're only following me because I fed you. You weren't following me because you really saw and understood who I was. You were only following me because of what you thought you could get from me. You don't see me properly yet just don't see me properly yet. You know, how we see Jesus will really determine how relevant we allow him to become in every facet of our life, in every area of our life. Because the truth is we're going to face trials and suffering in this world, even after we've come to Jesus. Who knows that? Who's experienced that here? We know that, right? And Jesus didn't lie about that. He said, yeah, you will. In this world, you will have trouble, but what? Take heart, though, because I have overcome the world. So in this world, yeah, you're still going to experience suffering and trials, but within the suffering and within the trials, I will be with you, and I have made a way for you, and you can overcome this. Please know, please know that the presence of suffering does not equal the absence of God's love. The presence, I've got to say that again, just the presence of suffering does not equal the absence of God's love. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you anymore or he's deserted you. He's still with you. It just means we're living in a broken world which isn't fully restored to God yet and we're going to experience this stuff in this world. But he's made a way for us in the suffering. Amen? Because Jesus didn't come down to earth to give us a perfect life. He come down to earth to give us eternal life. He didn't come to give us a perfect life. He come to give us eternal life. What is eternal life? What does that mean? It means that in this world, we can be in the presence of God. We can be in the presence of God. And, and we can 
we can have access to his life, his joy, his peace, his love, his strength. All we're ever going to need all the time. It's what holds our life together. It's what helps us flourish and grow. The word became human and made his home among us. That literal translation is he tabernacled among us. He tabernacled among us. And, and we know that the tabernacle is a reference to God's presence with the people of Israel in the wilderness when he was, his presence was, was within the tabernacle and it would go with them as they traveled. God's presence with them. Then we know God's presence was in the temple when Solomon's temple was built. His presence was in the person of Jesus Christ. And now his presence is in the Holy Spirit with us. You see, Jesus didn't abandon us when he left. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Jesus' absence equals the Holy Spirit's presence. Jesus has taken on our humanity, suffered with us and for us, to make a way for us to grab hold of this eternal life in this world. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. His love, his peace, his joy, his promises of spiritual prosperity available through the Holy Spirit. But we must welcome it. We must welcome it. We must embrace it. We must grab hold to onto it. You know, he made it available. He's not going to force it on us. We have to enact it. We have to. You know, as many of you, you know, when my brother unexpectedly died and I was on my knees praying, God, why? Why, God? Why did this have to happen? Was there not another way? Another way? Why, God? But in the midst of my pain, I was able to look to the one who was on his knees at one time in the garden crying out, why, God? Is there not another way? Why, God? And in seeing him, in seeing what he suffered with me and for me, I could believe that in that moment, his presence was with me. His presence was with me, and I could grab a hold of his eternal life in that moment. His love, his joy, and his peace. And it was by grabbing a hold of that life that I was able to get back off the floor. But not only get off the floor, but begin to flourish in life again, to walk in peace and joy. And the next time you're on your knees on the floor, saying, God, why? Why does this have to happen? Why? Will you see the one who's made a way for you? Will you see the one who offers you life in this world? Let me think on what Tim said again. He came down to earth. So you could see him, so you could know him, and you would believe in him. Jesus was and still is the most relevant, relevant thing humanity needs. From the first century down the ages to the 21st century, humanity still needs a savior to redeem every area of their life. We still need Jesus. Is the Bible still relevant? Yes. It's where we see him and know him and see who we are and why we are and what this world is. Is church still relevant? Yes. It's where he does his work on this earth. Is serving him still relevant? Absolutely. It's where we find our most contentment and joy and refreshment. It's where we find what we were made for. 
you know, Jesus once asked his disciples a couple of questions, and I believe Jesus is still asking his disciples that question today. That's me and you if you're a follower of Christ. He says in Matthew 16, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, there's lots of opinions out there. There's lots of teachings out there. Some say that John, um, some say you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. So much fun out there. Then he asked, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Not, not what they say I am. Who do you say I am? What am I to you? And I think it's, it's so important for each one of us to be able to answer that question for ourselves, isn't it? It's so important that we can answer that for ourselves. We might need to turn us take another look at Jesus. We might need to look a bit harder, to look with fresh eyes, with an open heart. But we must look long enough to be able to answer this question for ourselves. Who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? Because really, that's, that's, that's going to determine your walk with Jesus. It's on the mountaintops, but in the valleys as well. Who do you say Jesus is? He wants you to see for himself. Not in somebody else seeing and telling you. Not in me seeing and telling you. Not in your friends seeing and telling you. But in you seeing. And in you believing. And you knowing. Because once you do, once you see for yourself, once you know him for yourself, you will know that Jesus isn't just a centerpiece to be bought out at Christmas time. Jesus is the centerpiece of our whole lives. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to go into a time of prayer.